As a parent of a teenager, you sometimes get accused of being the fun police. But as we've already found out, your role as a parent is to give your teenager the opportunity to develop the independence they'll need as an adult, but also at the making good decisions part of their brain is still developing. Teenagers don't always see it that way though, and sometimes those safeguards we put in place for our teenagers get pushed a little bit. How do we get our teenagers to follow the rules? Is it bad if they don't? Am I a bad parent if my kid is breaking the rules? I saw him make lots of poor choices and thought, hang on, how do I help him? What's the worst that could happen if something goes wrong? You've still got to remember, you're the parent and you can say no. My name is Paul Nicholson and welcome to episode four of Partners in Parenting. It's okay if your teenager's pushing the boundaries. In this episode, we'll be discussing the importance of actually having boundaries in the first place and why it's actually not a bad thing to find out that your teenager wants to push those boundaries a little bit. We'll talk to parents about how they've minimised some of the pushback around setting those boundaries. And we'll talk about how they manage to set appropriate consequences if those boundaries should ever, heaven forbid, be breached. This episode follows on from episode two of this podcast, It's Okay If Your Teen's Shutting You Out, and episode three, It's Okay If You Feel Like You're Walking on Eggshells Around Your Teen. In those episodes, we spoke to our parents and parenting experts about why, first of all, our teens are driving towards more independence from their parents, and why parents need to balance this with still helping their teenager to learn skills they'll need as an adult. And last episode, we spoke about some of the things that are going on in your teenager's brain to make them a little bit more emotional and impulsive in their decision-making than usual. It's with all this in mind that we're going to be talking to parents about teenagers pushing boundaries in this episode. We know that boundaries are necessary, as teenagers aren't necessarily capable of making some of the important decisions they now have the agency to do. But also, we know that they're more likely to question some of those boundaries that have been put in place for them, as they clamber towards more independence as an adult. Which leaves you in a tricky situation as a parent, trying to keep your child safe, but also trying to let them get away from their super lame parents and start making their own decisions. It's a tricky situation, Do you set boundaries? Do you take them away? Do you enforce rules like a drill sergeant? Or is it fine to let consequences just play out? Julia, our mother of two boys, who participated in Monash University's Partners in Parenting program, or PIP, said that learning to keep that constant development in mind was something that helped her understand how she needed to set boundaries and why those boundaries were likely to get pushed every now and then. Before I learned about PIP, I would have seen those situations with my kids as them being stupid or making an idiotic decision, like knowing all the dangers and knowing it's making an idiotic decision. But now I respect them and understand they're working under with three tools in their toolbox. So it all goes towards more connection, more understanding of them rather than making this negative assessment of them and getting upset with them. Laura, mother of three, also learned something similar by doing the Partners in Parenting program. Laura remarked in a previous episode that learning how her teenager's brains worked was a big part of changing her parenting style. And she found that in setting rules and boundaries, understanding what her teenager was actually capable of was a big part of how that improved. I learned that his brain was processing things in a way that meant maybe his decision-making is not going to be all that on point and I really need to help him pause before he makes a decision. 
because I saw him make lots of poor choices and thought, hang on, how do I help him with that? It's a brain thing. He's actually probably not really capable of it within his development at the moment. So I need to put other things in place to say, hey, stop before you make that choice or, you know, just little things to help him out. Psychologist and researcher Dr. Mairead Cardamone-Breen says that what Laura was going through was a change in the way that parents of teenagers need to think about the function of their boundaries compared to when their kids were younger. If you think about it for like a much younger child, it's a lot easier to figure out, right? We're teaching them what they can and can't do to keep themselves safe and to learn how to navigate the world. So we have rules, all sorts of rules for toddlers about you're just not allowed to go there, you're not allowed to do that, you're not allowed to touch that because otherwise something terrible is going to happen. And and it's kind of similar for adolescents, but the idea of safety and responsibility becomes a little bit more broad and it's about actually teaching them the way of the world and how they need to behave, how they need to treat other people um, and ultimately to teach them, again, it's all about to become an independent adult. So rather than setting boundaries to just keep our kids safe, we also need to be thinking about how they help teach our teenagers about how boundaries will work when they hit the real world and the workplace. It's these sorts of boundaries that we're going to be discussing in this episode. How our parents came up with solutions that work for both them and their teenagers, with some suggestions from our experts along the way. When our kids first hit teenagehood, it's likely that they'll be bringing with them some of the rules and boundaries that you've already put in place for them to keep them safe. Kim, single mother of four, describes how she decided what rules and boundaries were necessary for her kids. Stranger danger, all of the things that we know are physical dangers to the kids, equipping them with as much information as possible. You know, every house that we've been in, we've had like an emergency plan, not for any particular reason, apart from kids start cooking. You wonder if your house is going to burn down. If something happens, where do you go? Who do you contact? Which door do you go out? So, We have these sort of like strategic, I guess, emergency plans. And that's also because I've worked as well. Being a single parent, an older sibling might be looking after them for a short amount of time. I need to make sure that they're safe and they need to know what to do in those situations. Monash University's Associate Professor Marie Yap, who instigated the PIP program, agrees with Kim that safety is a good place to start. There are some key domains that we strongly recommend parents to set boundaries in. And one of them is about the child's safety. So whether that's physical safety, emotional, uh, mental health type of safety, that's that broad category. The other one's about chores and responsibilities at home. And then the, the third and last one is about how you treat one another. So very fundamental domains of life. Those are some key domains. You know, you certainly should have some clear boundaries within each of those domains, but keep them as few as possible and make them as clear as possible. Maraid suggests that one thing you might want to try is creating rules that everyone in the family needs to follow, even if they're applied differently based on the ages or responsibilities of your family members. So the rule might differ for a younger child versus a teenager, but that one, that we need to you know, be respectful of everybody in the house, everyone needs to follow that rule. It's not about a specific rule for one child, for one teen, or there's different rules for parents. There might be sort of different ways that things are interpreted, but it needs to be something that the whole family understands and can follow together. Marie suggests in that situation to think about the rule of no screens for an hour before bed. The adults may be going to bed at 11, so their screens go off at 10, whereas a younger child might be going to bed at 10, and so their screen goes off at 9. And with two avid gamer sons, Julia is no stranger to that particular boundary being pushed. It's 
One of the things that I've found difficult as a parent now is that they are so engaged with gaming and screens and stuff like that and I don't know how to parent that because I didn't go through it. So when I was growing up, you couldn't watch pornography on a phone and so I, I don't know. I know the rules or how to manage, I suppose, a pornographic magazine or something like that. Well, when they were younger, we used to have some sort of a filter. When they were younger, we used to have computers in common areas. Now they're older, they have computers in their room. They're 18 and 16, so we sort of feel like that time's over for them being intruded upon or something like that. We always had half an hour before bedtime the screens go off and you do whatever you need to do like get your bag ready or whatever like that we also always had an hour at night which was like maybe 6 30 to 7 30 when the screens went off and we'd have dinner or you do your homework or that sort of thing so we always had a structure there and there was some time on some time off julie is quick to add though that just because your teenager can follow one rule doesn't mean they'll be able to follow them all, all of the time. So in terms of my son obeying the screen time, he went from a kid who would obey the screen time and not question it to a kid who was smoking dope, drinking alcohol, climbing out the window at four in the morning, needing people. Like it it was... It doesn't it doesn't automatically say that just because he obeys the screens he, you can count on him to go through teenagehood without trouble. So, although you may be experienced with setting boundaries for younger children, there are some key differences in setting boundaries for teenagers as Maraid and Marie explain. This is one of the areas where often families or your parents might get caught up. You have rules for your toddler and as a young child they don't need to understand why necessarily, they just need to do it and, and that's fine when they're younger. Whereas as adolescents they're going to question everything so it's actually really important that they are not just understanding but involved in the setting of the rules. We certainly do strongly recommend having boundaries for teens, but that the development of these boundaries and any consequences involves the teenager as much as possible because they are trying to assert their own will, their own sense of self and their own wishes and desires in in their own boundaries. So if they have buy-in to the agreed boundaries for their behaviours, they are much more likely, definitely not perfectly, but they are much more likely to to abide by those boundaries than if you just make them and impose them on them and, and then just expect them to meet them. So the hot tip here is to sit down at the kitchen table with your kids and nut out everybody's expectations then comes to an agreement on what rules you'll all follow. For our parents, that process was not necessarily frictionless and had them thinking of a number of different solutions based on their individual situations. In fact, Laura and her husband found that they had to try a different solution tailored to each teenager. For her son, they tried the write it down and put it in a contract approach. Pulling out all these strategies that you think, God, I'm never going to have to do that with my child. But I really did. I had to write it down. I had to go, well, this is the negotiation. I, I want this, you want this. Let's write it all down, work out the points of negotiation and then agree on it. And we did that and it worked really well, but only for a point in time. Then you have to do a new negotiation because that's no longer the way it's going to work anymore. Which worked quite well for her son, but not so well for one of her daughters. 
for my son, the contract idea does work because he really wants to have a say about the rules and he's also wants to be really clear about what they are because the biggest thing with him is I didn't know that's what you wanted is usually his excuse. And I think fair enough, maybe he didn't because he's a 15-year-old boy. I know his mind and the things that he can retain in his brain about what his mum says in a ranty rage is probably very little So the clarity that we've got by sitting down in a calm way and writing it down and negotiating it and then tearing it up when it no longer worked and writing a new one was the best way for us for that. But for my 17-year-old girl, there was no way she was going to enter into a contract because she thinks she's too smart for that, right? If she signs her name on something and then changes her mind, so I'm not doing that. Instead, Laura found the greatest success with her daughter was working the negotiation on a case-by-case basis and always with a win-win at the end with just a slight dusting of bribery. And that's more like, well, you're going to want me to drive you to work. I need you to put away your clothes. And mostly it's the driving because she doesn't want to walk or ride a bike or anything that's super lame. And what I realised is that when I was putting boundaries in that were what I needed to create something that was reasonable and acceptable in our family, it was seeming like a win for me and a loss for them. But when you put boundaries in that you can somehow show how it's a win for them and a win for you, I feel like you have a lot more success. So that took a bit of creativity. But when I was able to do that and go, well, you want to have more time on your computer. I want these things. How are we going to work that out? I would say I want to know about how much time we're negotiating about game time because you disappear and then I don't know how many hours you've spent. I want to know that I'm managing this for you because that's my job to help you manage this. And I want you to have time on the computer because I know that's what you love doing, but I need to know that I'm managing the time. So that was a win-win. One of the questions that a lot of parents will be struggling with is the classic what age before they're allowed to question. Anna shares with us her approach when she's deciding what her three kids may or may not be ready for. I think when they are asking to do things, I think they kind of know that they are ready to do stuff. So my youngest, you know, he, he rides his bike to school now. He's done that for a year or so, which is a couple of kilometres. He hangs out with his friends around the neighbourhood and that's fine. So when they ask to do things, I think that's kind of a good measure. Everything else is just kind of... Each time you just have to look at each thing as it happens and think, well, and then what's the worst that could happen if something goes wrong and that's okay. Maraid says that the what's the worst that could happen approach is actually a really good place to start for parents who aren't sure what their kids should be allowed to do and equally what they should now be taking responsibility for. Often it's like, well, when can they start taking public transport or something like that? Or when can they start making their own way to school or having responsibility for their own money, that kind of thing. So think about what kind of consequences would happen if they weren't able to do that. Or are they able to, to actually take responsibility for that now? The rule is, is appropriate. It needs to keep them safe. It needs to help them learn how to behave. And they need to be able to understand what the sort of natural consequences of it might be. So, and again, there's examples in the PIT program of sort of some general guidelines around primary school versus high school or later high school, but it will depend a little bit on the family and the child. And both Maraid and Marie agree that you need to be constantly evaluating where your child is at and what rules and responsibilities are appropriate. Perhaps every year or at the start of every school term is a good reminder. 
parenting is a journey, your child is also going through a journey of development. So you can't expect the same rules when they're 13 to still be applicable when they're 16 or maybe even 13 and a half, right? The important thing is to be ready to, to adapt um, these boundaries and expectations as your kids grow. And of course, Kim reminds us that sometimes you do need to check yourself too every now and then, because it is hard to watch your kids walk off into the wild blue yonder knowing they could come to harm. But she knows that ultimately, it's not a case of if, but when. My youngest has a transition day at high school today. And I said, did you want me to walk you to the bus stop? Even though you're going with your your brother to the same bus stop, to the same school. And she's just like, yeah, if you want to. I thought, yes, I need to, I need to. I need to make sure you're on the bus okay. You don't get attacked by a magpie on the way. All of that sort of thing. It's hard. It's emotionally hard to step back and to let them balance on their own. But I guess what I say to myself is, number one, let's look at the facts. She's going to be fine. It's me that needs the emotional support today. But another thing too is how are they ever going to know what they're capable of unless you let them have these little independence, which obviously have to be age appropriate and maturity appropriate and legally appropriate as well. You have to let them do that. And it's easier with small steps rather than it just being a, a whole big throw in the towel, do whatever you like type situation. So get some professional help if you find that you're struggling <laughs> as a parent. Absolutely. But let them do it. Let them do it. One thing that parents may struggle with during this consultation process with their teen is the classic argument, but so-and-so's parents let them do this, why can't I do this? Maraid has some advice. I mean, that's why it's so important to have everybody involved in the discussions around rules from the start and understanding why those rules exist for your family, because it's about your family, not about so-and-so's family. So if they have a good understanding of why that rule exists for them and for your family, then they're going to be more likely to accept a response around, well, that's our family rule. I guess the only sort of caveat to that is if it's coming up all the time and, and it's not just your teenager exaggerating to try to get away with breaking a rule, which might happen. We talked about boundary pushing and things, and this is a, a case where you just have to enforce that boundary that even though so-and-so is allowed to do that, that that's not how it works in our family and that's where the parent needs to perhaps draw the line. But if you are feeling like actually and maybe you're getting multiple reports of the same thing from different kids or from other parents that everyone else in Year 7 is actually allowed to do, you know, whatever it may be, and you genuinely believe that your child may be the only one not allowed to, then maybe that's actually a good opportunity not just to change the rule because of that but to look at the rules and whether there's anything that maybe does need to change as they get a bit older. But otherwise, it's probably a ploy to push the boundaries and and that's okay, that's what they're doing. But if it's really just that, then, well, your family rules don't actually apply to other people's families and that's what they're going to have to learn in life. There's rules at one workplace but not at another and they have to follow the rules of their workplace. Frances, mum of two, aged 20 and 18, agrees with that too. Ultimately, she's the parent and while there can be some negotiation, she has the deciding vote. You can aim to be talking about boundaries and having discussions and making those things explicit and making them feel like they've had a bit of a say, but when it comes down to it, you've still got to remember you're the parent and you can say no. You can say, 
no, we're not happy with that. And there are times when they've sort of gone, oh, okay. So with with my daughter lately and, yeah, she's got a boyfriend and, of course, they want to go out or stay over somewhere or – and, yes, yeah, so that has um, been an interesting time lately with working out what's safe and what we agree with and what our boundaries are and things. Whilst Laura agrees with the fact that the parent needs to be in charge, she approaches explaining it to her teenagers in a different way. The phrase that I found more useful than you live under my roof, you do my rules, is that, look, one day you're going to be a parent. Are you really going to, are you t- saying to me that you would want your child to just be able to do blah, blah, blah? Think about it from my perspective. I want to be a good parent. I want to do a good job. And me just going, I don't care where you are, or I don't care when you come home, is not doing a good job. So I'm going to keep working at doing a good job and we're going to have to figure out a way that I can feel satisfied that I'm doing a good job because if I'm failing you, then I'm going to be really unhappy and really worried that my most important job is not being done well. So that does not always work, but sometimes they stop and they go, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I would want to do that. Even if you think about it from a friend, would you really want your friend's parents to just say they don't care about where they go? Because you wouldn't think they were doing a good job. So I try to, I try to reflect it back in that way. Along with rules go consequences. Marie says it's absolutely crucial for your family rules to have agreed on consequences. Because otherwise there's no point having those expectations because nobody's going to bother um, when there's no follow through. But Mairead is quick to point out that you don't necessarily need to follow through all the time and that sometimes it's better to let the natural consequences of teenage decisions play out, if it's appropriate. A lot of actions or behaviours or rules actually have natural consequences. So if they don't do their homework, then they can face the teacher and you're not going to help them with that, then that's the consequence. If things are broken, if they've, they've not followed a rule and there's financial implications... That's another example. So there's a lot of things where there just are natural consequences and the other consequences need to be agreed upon by everybody. Remember, you're trying to teach them. So it's not about punishing them in anger. It's about actually helping them learn. For Kim, consequences are important, but they need to be balanced with her children knowing that they can turn to their parent to get them out of a jam on those rare occasions when things go badly wrong. I guess making sure that they're safe and secure, that they can come to me if they need to. If, as I've always said to all of them, your safety is paramount. The reason that you might have ended up unsafe, we'll deal with that at a later date if necessary. But your personal safety is paramount. Let me know any time of day or night and we'll deal with it. And remember, as with the setting of the rules in the first place, you're going to have to tailor the consequences to your specific children in your specific situation. Anna tells us of a time when her daughter violated her boundaries and made a bad decision, and what Anna's thought process was around deciding what the consequences would be. Well, she's never been a rebellious child or anything, very diligent, very conscientious. I get a call at work and she's a bit crying. I'm like, hello, and she's like, mum, like, oh, are you okay? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm at Kmart and I've been caught shoplifting. So anyway, get there, and there are these four 15-year-old girls looking, you've never seen a more sorry bunch, looking absolutely you know, horrified and mortified at themselves. So what should a parent do in this situation? The store manager had given the usual spiel for a first-time offender. 
that the police wouldn't be involved this time, but if it happened again, there would be more severe consequences. So in the car on the way home, Anna and her daughter had a chat. Anyway, I was thinking after, it's like, what is the right thing to do here? Because it was a big deal. So the next week, she had organised to go to Adelaide to go to WOMAD, the World Music Festival that she'd been the year before with her school, and she just adored it, and she'd organised to go this year. It was Christmas present for the ticket and all this sort of thing. She was so excited, and she said, am I still allowed to go? And I said, well, look, yes, we decided, yes, you can go. I'm not going to punish you in that way. I know that what you did is unacceptable and it's wrong and it's not who you are, and I know that, and I trust you, and I'm showing my trust in you by you going to WOMAD, you're not going to get into trouble, you know, drinking and all the rest of it, underage and all that. No, you're going to do the right thing and prove that you are trustworthy. And so she did and she went and it was all, it was great. She went and had a great time and she nothing went wrong. And since then she's spoken to me about that time and said, Mum, I just really am thankful that you believed in me. And it was just a kind of, it kind of brought us closer and it kind of showed that I trusted in her and so she can trust in herself and not make those stupid decisions. And I said, look, I've done things that I should have done as a teenager. That, that's, that's what happens. But it's how you learn from that and how you know that you're not going to do that again. And you, you learn. And I, get, and I get that. So I think that was just, I feel like that was a really great time that I thought I was quite good as a parent at that point. Like I did the right thing. I felt like that was a good thing to do and a good thing for her. And I, it's been something I think we both come out from better. Now, of course, that approach isn't going to work for every teenager, although it did for Anna's daughter. But Anna took into account the lessons that her daughter had already learned, saw the natural consequences, and made a decision about what she could teach her daughter in that moment. And it worked. It's okay if your teenager's pushing the boundaries, as we've said, because it's part of them becoming adults and learning how to be independent. And that's not something you necessarily need to be afraid of as a parent. Teenagehood is all about pushing boundaries, almost by definition, because they are trying to grow, they're trying to find their own world for themselves. This is all part of them developing their independence, developing their identity, figuring out what is and isn't okay. So it's important that the boundaries are there. So great if they're pushing them, because that means there are some boundaries. They will be pushing, they will be testing what they can get away with. But this is, again, not, not driven out of some kind of desire to, to irritate or to get to parents. It's, again, part of their actual natural development. But it doesn't mean that parents should relax those boundaries. Having boundaries, having rules or guidelines for their behaviour is really important um, because it actually shapes what they go on to learn about the world and how they learn to behave outside of home and as adults. Your job as a parent is to help protect them from the things that might do them harm and at the same time, give them the responsibilities that'll teach them the skills they need to operate in the world. If you're looking for more information on how you might be able to work through boundary and rule setting with your teen, Maraid says there's plenty of info in the online modules of the Partners in Parenting program. There is a whole module um, on this because it is really important um, and it's called Raising Good Kids into Great Adults, Establishing Family Rules. And it goes through the whole process from, okay, why rules, what do they look like, what should they be, and then how to manage what to do when inevitably kids don't follow the rules.
On the next episode of Partners in Parenting, it's time to look at helping your teen through some of those normal problems that pop up during teenagehood. I used to very kindly deny their feelings if they were feeling unhappy. Then became a stop telling me what to do or turn into an argument when all I wanted to do was help. Yeah, they might be acting in this way, but maybe that's just because they're scared. It's okay if your teenager's freaking out a little bit. Next episode on Partners in Parenting. This podcast features experts Associate Professor Marie Yap and psychologist and research fellow Mairead Cardamone-Breen, both from Monash University, and Emeritus Professor Tony Jorm from the Centre for Mental Health at the University of Melbourne. Special thanks goes to all the parent participants from the program who are willing to tell their stories. If you're interested in some more parenting resources to help you raise your team with confidence, or you'd like to give the Partners in Parenting online program a try, head to the website at partnersinparenting.com.au. This podcast was produced on the traditional lands of the Bunurong people by Jetstreamer, in conjunction with Action Lab at Monash University. For more information about the Partners in Parenting program, or if you'd like to get involved, visit partnersinparenting.com.au.